Chapter 21, Part 1 of The Wonderful Adventures of Nils by Selma Lagerlof, translated by Velma Swanston Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gerald Moe, Tucker, Georgia. The Story of Carr and Grayskin, Carr. About twelve years before Nils Holgersson started on his travels with the wild geese, there was a manufacturer at Colmarden who wanted to be rid of one of his dogs. He sent for his gamekeeper and said to him that it was impossible to keep the dog because he could not be broken of the habit of chasing all the sheep and fowl he set eyes on, and he asked the man to take the dog into the forest and shoot him. The gamekeeper slipped the leash on the dog to lead him to a spot in the forest where all the superannuated dogs from the manor were shot and buried. He was not a cruel man, but he was very glad to shoot that dog, for he knew that sheep and chickens were not the only creatures he hunted. Times without number he had gone into the forest and helped himself to a hare or a grouse chick. The dog was a little black and tan setter. His name was Carr, and he was so wise he understood all that was said. As the gamekeeper was leading him through the thickets, Carr knew only too well what was in store for him. But this no one could have guessed by his behavior, for he neither hung his head nor dragged his tail, but seemed as unconcerned as ever. It was because they were in the forest that the dog was so careful not to appear the least bit anxious. There were great stretches of woodland on every side of the factory, and this forest was famed both among animals and human beings, because for many, many years the owners had been so careful of it that they had begrudged themselves even the trees needed for firewood nor had they had the heart to thin or train them. The trees had been allowed to grow as they pleased. Naturally, a forest thus protected was a beloved refuge for wild animals, which were to be found there in great numbers. Among themselves they called it Liberty Forest, and regarded it as the best retreat in the whole country. As the dog was being led through the woods, he thought of what a bugaboo he had been, to all the small animals and birds that lived there. Now, Carr, wouldn't they be happy in their lairs if they only knew what was awaiting you? He thought, but at the same time he wagged his tail and barked cheerfully so that no one should think that he was worried or depressed. What fun would there have been in living had I not hunted occasionally, he reasoned. Let him who will regret. It's not going to be Carr. But the instant the dog said this, a singular change came over him. He stretched his neck as though he had a mind to howl. He no longer trotted alongside the gamekeeper, but walked behind him. It was plain that he had begun to think of something unpleasant. It was early summer, the elk cows had just given birth to their young, and the night before, the dog had succeeded in parting from its mother an elk calf not more than five days old, and had driven it down into the marsh. 
there he had chased it back and forth over the knolls, not with the idea of capturing it, but merely for the sport of seeing how he could scare it. The elk cow knew that the marsh was bottomless so soon after the thaw, and that it could not as yet hold up so large an animal as herself, so she stood on the solid earth for the longest time watching. But when Carr kept chasing the calf farther and farther away, she rushed out on the marsh, drove the dog off, took the calf with her, and turned back toward firm land. Elk are more skilled than other animals in traversing dangerous marshy ground, and it seemed as if she would reach solid land in safety, but when she was almost there, a knoll which she had stepped upon sank into the mire, and she went down with it. She tried to rise, but could get no secure foothold, so she sank and sank. Carr stood and looked at her, not daring to move. When he saw that the elk could not save herself, he ran away as fast as he could, for he had begun to think of the beating he would get if it were discovered that he had brought a mother elk to grief. He was so terrified that he dared not pause for breath until he reached home. It was this that the dog recalled, and it troubled him in a way very different from the recollection of all his other misdeeds. This was doubtless because he had not really meant to kill either the elk cow or her calf, but had deprived them of life without wishing to do so. But maybe they are alive yet, thought the dog. They were not dead when I ran away. Perhaps they saved themselves. He was seized with an irresistible longing to know for a certainty while there was yet time for him to find out. He noticed that the gamekeeper did not have a firm hold on the leash, so he made a sudden spring, broke loose, and dashed through the woods down to the marsh with such speed that he was out of sight before the gamekeeper had time to level his gun. There was nothing for the gamekeeper to do but to rush after him. When he got to the marsh, he found the dog standing upon a knoll, howling with all his might. The man thought he had better find out the meaning of this, so he dropped his gun and crawled out over the marsh on hands and knees. He had not gone far when he saw an elk cow lying dead in the quagmire. Close beside her lay a little calf. It was still alive, but so much exhausted that it could not move. Carr was standing beside the calf, now bending down and licking it, now howling shrilly for help. The gamekeeper raised the calf and began to drag it toward land. When the dog understood that the calf would be saved, he was wild with joy. He jumped round and round the gamekeeper, licking his hands and barking with delight. The man carried the baby elk home and shut it up in a calf stall in the cow shed. Then he got help to drag the mother elk from the marsh. Only after this had been done did he remember that he was to shoot Carr. He called the dog to him and again took him into the forest. The gamekeeper walked straight on toward the dog's grave, but all the while he seemed to be thinking deeply. Suddenly he turned and walked toward the manor. Carr had been trotting along quietly, but when the gamekeeper turned and started for home, 
he became anxious. The man must have discovered that it was he that had caused the death of the elk, and now he was going back to the manor to be thrashed before he was shot. To be beaten was worse than all else. With that prospect, Carr could no longer keep up his spirits, but hung his head. When he came to the manor, he did not look up, but pretended that he knew no one there. The master was standing on the stairs leading to the hall when the gamekeeper came forward. Where on earth did that dog come from? he exclaimed. Surely it can't be Carr. He must be dead this long time. Then the man began to tell his master all about the mother elk, while Carr made himself as little as he could and crouched behind the gamekeeper's legs. Much to his surprise, the man had only praise for him. He said it was plain the dog knew that the elk were in distress and wished to save them. You may do as you like, but I can't shoot that dog, declared the gamekeeper. Carr raised himself and pricked up his ears. He could hardly believe that he had heard aright. Although he did not want to show how anxious he had been, he couldn't help whining a little. Could it be possible that his life was to be spared simply because he had felt uneasy about the elk? The master thought that Carr had conducted himself well, but as he did not want the dog, he could not decide at once what should be done with him. If you will take charge of him and answer for his good behavior in the future, he may as well live, he said finally. This the gamekeeper was only too glad to do, and that was how Carr came to move to the gamekeeper's lodge. End of chapter 21, part 1 Recording by Gerald Moe Tucker, Georgia.